Welcome to the Untold Podcast, capturing the culture's imagination through speculative fiction. I'm your host, Nathan James Norman. Well, first things first, I'm proud to announce the release of the Crossover Alliance Anthology, Volume 1. It features two of my own short stories. One is beautiful, the other is gross. And they're both kind of edgy because this anthology is chock full of edgy Christian speculative fiction. Authors include myself, David and Alderman, Jess Hanna, Mark Carver, Travis Morrill, as well as Alan and Aaron Rainey. There's lots of Friends of the Untold podcast in this book, and right now you can get your hands on a digital copy for free. Or, if you want to support the project a bit, you can order it for your Kindle or Nook for 99 cents. Or, get your hands on a physical copy for $7 from Amazon. There's all sorts of great speculative fiction in here, so head over to www.thecrossoveralliance.com for ordering options, or go to our show notes for the direct links. It's a great way to support the mission of this show, and you don't even have to spend money to do it. Our story this month was written by Michael Withers. His official bio reads as follows, Michael is not an author, but a janitor at a church. And that's it. But we here at the Untold Podcast love our masters of the custodial arts. Just go back and listen to episode 20, The Saving Thunderclap by Matt McKinney. Michael Withers has a particular interest in Christian apologetics and theology, and I think that shows well in this month's story. He also lives in New York, which automatically makes him awesome. So now, the Untold Podcast is proud to present The Gnomes and the Pit by Michael Withers. The Endwell house overlooking Homeville had been empty for as long as anyone could remember. It was a large, gilded-age mansion, abandoned when its owners had flown south to avoid the long winters and lake-effect snow they brought. Or maybe he, or she, or they had just wanted to live on a beach, it really doesn't matter. One Saturday morning, while watching that crazy DIY TV handyman fix up another decrepit rental property, I came up with my brilliant plan. I would buy the Endwell house and flip it. I am fairly handy, I can swing a hammer and cut a board, so why not? If I wanted to give her money so she didn't have to pay taxes on some place she'd never seen, I'm sure we can come to an arrangement. So, there I was, early one summer morning, next to my Honda on the side of a country road, looking at a wall of shrubs that completely blocked my view of the house. Well, I knew it would take some work, but merely getting to the house was going to be a challenge. Note to self, I told my phone, saw no machete. Eventually, I found where the driveway had once been, and by crawling, I made it through the barrier and into the lawn. Except, it wasn't so much a lawn as a briar patch. I like blackberries as much as the next guy, but as I waded through a sea of thorns, I lost a bit of my taste for them. It was with some relief that I pushed through, at last, to the porch. 
My creeping dread at going back through the field of torture disappeared as I gazed at straight lines, a solid roof, intact windows, even intricate gabling at the roof line. My investment was not going to be wasted. This old house, this grand old house, was solid. I took a moment to pull the last of the thorns out of the backs of my hands. A little pain was nothing, after all. By the time I was done, blood, sweat, and yes, potentially tears, were going into this property. It was the cost of doing business. Nothing more. The door was locked, as I expected, but it also had delicate stained glass panels. Dollar signs popped up in front of my eyes, like the numbers of an old cash register. Gold mine. Most likely, the back door would be less valuable, and if I needed, I could break it to get in. Luckily, the weeds and berries leaned away from the house, and I was able to work my way around to the back with a minimal of pain. That is when I first noticed the click-click sounds. The backyard lacked the briar patch of the front, but there was a mound of bare dirt, rather like the top of an anthill, off to one side next to a garden shed. That anthill was making clicking noises. An infestation. Ants? I gulped. Termites? I had to know. So I walked over to see. The mound was about knee-high, and as I approached, I could make out a voice between the clicks. Erf. Erf, click, half, click. I got right up to the mound, and saw that it surrounded a pit of sorts, much wider than I had thought, but what really caught my attention was the gnome digging away inside it. Yes, a gnome. Believe me, you are no more struck at the oddity of that than I was. Probably less so, as you don't have to believe me, but there I was, staring at a little man, wearing a frumpy little hat that came down almost to a bulbous nose that overlooked an extremely spare beard, little more than a few whiskers on his chin. I said something, and it is probably best that I forget what exactly it was, because I can't imagine it was a very wholesome expletive, and the little gnome looked up at me. He didn't seem very surprised by my being there, just squinted a bit, and leaned on a tiny little shovel. Hello, I tried. What? Goodness gracious, not what are you? Um, what are you doing there? Hello to yourself, he replied, touching his hat. I'm digging a hole. Oh, that was lame, and I was distinctly aware of being wrong-footed. I could turn that around easily enough. I would say something profound and witty and take control of this extraordinary conversation. Why? Ah, that was not at all what I had in mind. I'm a gnome, ain't I? Gnomes dig holes. Do they? Do you? I asked. He slowly looked around him, at tunnels running off, at little piles of rocks, at his shovel, before turning to look back up at me. Yep. We stared at each other for a moment. A long moment. Look, human, if you aren't going to bring intelligence to the conversation, I'll just be back at my work. Uh, why do gnomes dig holes? Because we have shovels. If you have a shovel, 
you dig with it. Oh, it sounded sensible enough. Do you dig for treasure or something? Lamely again. I was definitely off my game, and the surreal situation allowed me to see that I was, but be helpless to fix it. I found a worm earlier, he replied. And is that valuable? I ate it. I suppose that has some value. And did you like it? Like eating a worm? Look, you really are a stupid human, aren't you? He blurted. It was a worm. Of course I didn't like eating it. Uh, how, how about berries? There, there are some out front, I said. Berries? Sounds delicious, but there are no berries in the hole. I was about to offer to get some when a female gnome climbed out of a tunnel and addressed the male. Terence? I don't hear you working. Are you slacking off again? No, Mora. I am not. I was talking to the human up there. You are just full of excuses, Terence. There are no humans. Sure is, he said, pointing at me with his chin. See up there? One right now. Hello! I waved. She glanced at me. That's not a human. Now go back to work. It is, too. Aren't you a human? Human? Yes, I'm a human, I said, grinning in my most charming way at the female gnome. She looked at me suspiciously and started slowly. And just who are you to be telling me what a human is? Well, I am a human. I think I have an idea of what a human is. Oh, I see. Her voice dripped scorn. You put yourself up there, up on high, and pronounce for all the world that you are a human. And what are we but lowly gnomes? Well, I won't stand for it. You are not a human. She stamped her little foot, in a wooden clog nonetheless, into the ground. Terence cut in. He says there are berries up there, Mora, and no worms. Well, there are worms, I stammered, but Mora was having none of it. Berries? Berries? I brought you a beetle just the other day, but now you want berries? They don't exist, Terence, she sneered. Just lies to confuse you. Look, I can help you out of the pit, and you can see the berries for yourself. Pit? What pit? Mora asked. Uh, the hole you are in, I replied. Oh, no. Terence mumbled and pretended to look on the ground for something. I am not in a hole, Mora said. Uh, you, you are, you are. Look at the walls of dirt, the, the sunken nature of your surroundings. You are in a hole. That might be what you call it, but this is normal. You just happen to be on a mound of dirt, so it looks like a hole to you. Uh, no, it, it's a hole, I argued. Level ground up here, and big old hole right there, where, where you are. There is no hole, she stamped her foot again. You put yourself up there all high and mighty and say that we're in a hole, and how do we get here? You dug the hole, didn't you? That is what Terence said. Oh, leave me out of this, Terence cried. He would, Mora shot a blazing stare at Terence. That is because he doesn't know what work is. He calls it digging, but that is just so he can avoid it. Uh, but he is digging, I defended. He was digging when I came here and saw him. No, gnome. Terence especially has ever dug a moment of their lives. We are incapable of digging, don't you see? 
She turned on me and spoke like she was trying to convince a youngster. No, a human could dig. We can only work. I bet you dug the hole and threw us in here. How fair is that? You banish us from the daylight and say it's our fault. Uh, I only just got here a few minutes ago. The strange scene was making my head spin. Uh, but you aren't banished. Look, I can help you out of the hole if you want. I reached down to the floor of the pit, palm up. Goodness gracious, she squeaked. Are you trying to kill me? Terence was now on his knees, covering his ears and rocking back and forth slightly. Uh, what? No! I retracted my hand. I, I just thought I could get you out of there. And almost crush me in the process! She wiped her brow dramatically and took a deep, calming breath. Besides, there is no hole. We have already established that. No digging, no hole. We don't need your help. I could go get you some berries, I started. Terence looked out of the corner of his eye at me, but Mora stamped her foot again. Berries again? I thought we were past this. No digging, no holes, no berries. They don't exist. I couldn't help it. I got up and practically ran to the front of the house to collect a handful of berries. These poor creatures were delusional, and I was going to help them out. I rushed back, a little more torn up by the thorns than I was before, but triumphant. There was Terence, digging with his little shovel, picking up dirt and tossing it over his shoulder. No Mora to be seen. I brought berries, I said. He refused to look at me, but just kept digging. I have it on very good authority, he said distinctly, that there are no berries. I reached down into the pit and held out a handful of berries. I must admit, they didn't look too appealing. A couple had been squished a little, and the juice from them combined with some blood from a scratch on my palm that I hadn't noticed receiving. I would have blown the stems and debris off of them, but I figured that might just make things worse. They're an illusion, he said, turning to look and ceasing to dig. They aren't, I insisted. Have one. You can see for yourself. They're there. They're an illusion, he repeated. But as an illusion, they can't really hurt me, can they? He shouldered his shovel and took two steps to my hand, and, reaching out, grabbed a berry, quite as large as his head, and started eating it, one globe at a time. He would bite the globe, suck out the juice, and spit out the seed. After finishing the berry, his face in the front of his hat stained purple, he said, That is a lovely illusion. I don't mind indulging in it, I can tell you. Like I said, they aren't an illusion. Climb on my hand and I will take you to see the field of them out in front of the house. He stepped forward and I dumped the rest of the berries into the dirt as he reached out to grab my thumb as a handhold when Mora walked back out of a tunnel. Seeing him, she picked up a rock, hardly more than a grain of sand but large enough for her, and threw it, smacking him in the back of his head, knocking the hat off his, I could see now, bald scalp and leaving him rolling on the ground moaning. You lazy good-for-nothing! She bellowed, and she marched up to him with a fierce look in her eyes. You never work, you layabout! I thought she would start kicking him, so I put my hand between them. Hey there, you're going to kill him, I said. I was just giving him berries and going to show him the field of them. You, you thing! She spat and kicked my hand as hard as she could. He has children here, and you are going to take him away? Isn't he useless enough without you tempting him with berries? Who'll take care of them? She kept kicking me, but as she was so tiny, it didn't hurt. They can have berries too. Look, there are some right next to you. Have one. Have two. I can always get more. 
She collected herself, ceasing to kick me, brushing off her smock, and turned on me. You do not exist. The berries do not exist. I shall no longer pretend otherwise. Terence, get up and go back to work. With that, she turned on her heel and headed back down the tunnel she had come out of. Terence had gotten to his knees and hurriedly settled his hat back over his head, which had a knot on the back that glowed an angry red. Back to work. Back to work, he mumbled. Terence, your wife is insane, I began, but he ignored me, picking up his shovel and starting to dig once more even deeper. Look, you do have children. No answer. Just erf, click, hef, click, erf. Click. Half. Click. If you have children, what kind of life are they going to have? They're born in this hole you are digging. They'll spend their whole lives there, eating worms and beetles, and all the time a field of berries is waiting right up here for them. I'll take you to it. I'll take them to it. I'd even take Mora to it. If I could just catch her, I mumbled the last. Terence put his chin on his chest and just kept digging. I kept the house. No idea how I would sell it with gnomes in the back, and though I often felt like throwing some dynamite in the pit and be ridding myself of them, I never did. See, I went back, often, to talk to the gnomes, try to convince them to leave the hole and move into the house with me. In the winter, I would heat bricks by the fireplace and toss them into the pit so as to help them be warm. I would throw scraps of food down to feed them. I have to say, though, that gnomes live short lives. A few months and a gnome goes from youth to adult, and by the next year, they are gone. I feel a deep sadness for Terence in particular. He wanted to leave, wanted to believe me, but lacked the fortitude to stand up for what he knew was right. Most gnomes simply ignored me, pretended I didn't exist. It isn't all sad, however. Terence had a granddaughter, Rose, who would greet me each time I came, and though it took a while, eventually agreed to leave the hole and see the real world. She couldn't stand to be far from her family, and I bought a dollhouse for her and set it next to the pit. She would go to the pit each day, asking, begging them to come up, to just let me grab them and show them sunlight. She was the first, but not the last. A few others listened, and occasionally, one would accept our offer. And that was our story. I hope you liked it. I'm going to leave my commentary to a minimum here, in hopes that you will discuss this month's story over at Facebook, Twitter, or on the forum. But I will say this. I'm glad our protagonist is a bit of a buffoon, because whenever I'm trying to hoist gnomes out of a hole, I'm also a bit of a buffoon. And there's always awkwardness involved. So as we go, Please remember to subscribe to our show, join our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, blog about us, tell your friends, and remember that... This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network. For more great content and community, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com. Until next time, 
I'm Nathan James Norman with a message. Terrence, your wife is insane. <laughs>